Hey, welcome back to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. Uh, this is a special podcast for me. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Look, there's no section in Scripture that, that has been more life-changing and transforming and encouraging to me and my Christian walk than, than this section. I have preached on it in, in, in a dozen countries. It has always been powerful, always been moving, always affecting of Christians and their lives. And um, so I'm really happy to bring it out uh, to the gospel rant, and I'm hoping that, that it moves you and, and you pass this on to, to other people. I can't think of a single Christian who couldn't benefit from this, who couldn't uh, be encouraged by this. And, and most of us desperately need to hear it. It's a section that is so powerful, but I think it's been overlooked. Uh, you know, we've been hustling to get to Ephesians 5 to talk about husbands and wives. But Ephesians 3 is the overarching umbrella. It, you, you can't really understand Ephesians 5 until we really understand what Paul is doing in Ephesians 3. So anyway, welcome. Uh, this is, man, I'm just opening up my heart and telling you this is a passage that has moved me once I since I first stumbled on it preaching uh, 25 years ago. All right? Well, uh, first thing I want to do is to play a song for you. I'm sure I'm breaking copyrights, but I'm not selling this, so uh, just chill, relax. It's, uh, it's uh, a song called Waving Through the Window. Um, it's from a Broadway play, and I just want you to listen and, and get a feel for who this, this person, Evan, is. Uh, and then think about describing Evan, uh, attaching yourself to Evan, empathizing, sympathizing with him. What is he looking for? What, a, what words would you use separately, right? I mean, hear the loneliness, the isolation, uh, the fear of being... Uh, underachiever, afraid of failing or being seen as a failure or, or not being loved at all, being unlovable. You know, in the attachment theory, he's insecure. All right. So, so check out this song from Evan Hansen. By the way, millennials resonate with this. I mean, uh, I, I actually saw this play performed and, and it was my wife and I surrounded by a sea of millennials all in tears. I mean, if, if you want to have a millennial ministry, Man, get to know Evan Hansen and be able to give the gospel to Evan Hansen. All right? So just take the time and listen to it. We probably won't play the entire song, but a, but a chunk of it. All right? I've learned to slam on the brake Before I even turn the key Before I make the mistake before I lead with the worst of me Give them no reason to stare No slipping up if you slip away So I got nothing to share No, I got nothing to say Step out, step out of the sun If you keep getting burned Step out, step out of the sun Because you've learned Because you've learned on the outside, always looking in, will I ever be more than I've always been? Cause I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass, waving through window. I try to speak, but nobody can hear, so I wait around for an answer to appear. While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass, I'm waving through window. 
can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? We start with stars in our eyes. We start believing that we belong. But every sun doesn't rise. And no one tells you where you went wrong. A step out, step out of the sun if you keep getting burned. Step out, step out of the sun because you've learned. Because you've learned on the outside, always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've always been? Cause I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. Nobody can hear, so I wait around for an answer to appear While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass Waving through a window Can anybody see? Is anybody waving? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around Do you ever really crash or even make a sound? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around you ever really crash or even make a sound when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around do you ever really crash or even make a sound when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around do you ever really crash or even make a sound did i even make a sound did i even make a sound it's like i never made a sound did i ever make a sound on the outside always looking in a way Okay, welcome back. Oh my goodness, I love that song. Evan Hansen has a need and he is beat up. He's subhuman, if you will, his experience. He's lonely. He doesn't have intimate relationships. He wonders if he's lovable. He's unsatisfied with status quo. He's reachable. Uh, and that's the whole point of the play is, is a finding of Evan Hansen. Um, but we, the church can do better. One theologian said, all you need is need. And most of the time you don't have that. And look, Evan Hansen had a need. It's, it's observable, and, but so do I. And, and I have some of the same needs and everybody does. And more and more of our people, more and more of the people in our church or community or small group have that need. And it's just not being filled uh, the way we need. And so that's why dissatisfaction in our country is at an all-time high. Churches are shrinking. One uh, researcher said that 20% of churches are going to close down in the next 10 years. And why? Partly is we're irrelevant uh, to the people. That's That's our brand anyway. And listen, anxiety disorder in our country is up 300%. There's a loneliness epidemic. There's isolation and social justice and incivility issues. Man, things are about to pop. And where's the church? And what's our message in all of this? What if 
we've been making this Christian walk too hard. And, and by the way, with paltry fruit to show, it's certainly compared to the other revivals, think of the Great Awakening. What if there was a way that I could feel 10% more of how much God loves me? Would that make a difference? I could feel it, right? Not just know that I have it, but feel it. Or 5% of more of God's love for my neighbors. Would that, I think they'd notice. Or 7.56% more of how proud uh, God is of me right now, if I could feel that more. Or that I could feel that at all. And all of these things are part and parcel of the work of Jesus Christ. And he earned them. I didn't. Uh, I, I can't make a claim to them. Uh, but he purchased them for me. What if I could know just how much God likes me, marginally more than I did yesterday or the day before? Wouldn't that make a real observable difference in my sense of self, my identity, my value, my purpose, my worth, my calling? Wouldn't I smile more, dance more, hug more? And wouldn't it make a real observable difference in my relationships, my sense of security, right? My re re reduction of anxiety. Yeah. Who wouldn't want it, right? Well, today I'm going to show you biblically how you can get that in baby steps, right? Interested? All right. Uh, you know how sports commentators and analysts rank things? I love that. The greatest quarterback of all times, that one's easy. The greatest closing pitcher, eh, top two or three, I can I could figure. The top five three-point shooters of all time, that's a great question because things have changed in the way we do games. Anyway, that, that's, a, that's one that's fun to argue. Well, I think we pastors should do rankings just for fun, right? Uh, not take ourselves that seriously. So I'm going to start. And here's my choice for the top five prayers in the Bible. Fun, right? The number one has to be the Lord's Prayer, right? Number two, I'm going with Jesus's prayer in the garden, the not my will, but your will be done. Um, I like that. Number four, Right, I'm skipping number three. Number four, I'm going with Psalm 88, uh, just because of the shock value of it. And, and um, it just embraces me. The dark psalm, the black psalm. It's the psalm that I used after many church leadership meetings. And it ends, darkness is my closest friend. <laughs> Ouch, right? Number five, I'm going with Psalm 51, David's great prayer of confession. Uh, all, all of these are good. And you can You might have a different order. But all of these are top five, top six, right? But I skipped number three because this one might be a surprise to you. It's a prayer of Paul. Good good to have Paul in here somewhere. It's at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the Ephesian Christians, and Paul writes it to a, a what we know now is a fragile church plant. They're Christians. They're on the dangerous front line of the Christian movement in the first century, Ephesus was a great city. You can visit it today, the ruins anyway, worth a trip. Uh, it was a great city in the Roman Empire, and believe me, not regularly friendly to the Jesus movement uh, at the time of Paul. We know from another letter written 30 years later by John that the Ephesian church is going to fracture. It's going to blow it. It's going to blow up. It's going to veer away, get distracted, probably find and do other good things, churchy things. They're probably a friendly church, but they're not powerful. Uh, and what they're doing is not changing the world. 
and they become adult insecure children. So this is Revelation 2. So, so just listen. I know your deeds, and this is an angel of Christ saying this. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, right? That's, that seems like a good church. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, check. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, check. You found them false, check. You've persevered, check. You've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, it sounds like we're about to give them a merit badge. Yet, all of that, all of that aside, I'm going to hold this against you. Here's my charge against you. And this is the big one. Forget the rest. You have forsaken your first love. So you can do all those things and forsake your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Well, uh, the Ephesian church is no more. Uh, Ephesus is no more. Paul seems to know they're headed into a dangerous place. Ephesians, this is serious. You got to pay attention. You must be intentional where you go to find your real significance, security, and belonging. Um, and if you aren't intentional, if you're not leaning into this, and, and church leaders, if you're not regularly leaning into this, if you try to look in all the wrong places, it's going to turn out like they did. Well, let's not make the same error. Here's what Paul writes to us today in Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. All right, let me unpack this for a second. This is his opening appeal for the entire letter, by the way, for this reason. Well, and the reason is that they're groaning, insecure, dissatisfied children who are looking for security, significance, and belonging somewhere, anywhere, often and habitually in all the wrong places. And they remain overwhelmed, overcommitted, overconnected, easily frightened and discouraged and anxious, just like me, just like you, just like Evan Hansen, for this reason. And the point, they have a tendency, just like me, to not need, to be self-sufficient, even though we're hurting to to be self-reliant. It's certainly an American thing. We want to be successful on our own, to not be dependent in general, right? There's also a Roman thing. All you need is need. Most of the time, you don't have that. The Ephesians didn't have it. So Ephesians, don't try to do God's kingdom on your own. Don't try to do relationship with God on your own. Don't fear losing God's favor and support because it's permanently yours. Don't fear hearing God say over you, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. He's saying it. If only that critical voice inside of you could shut up for just a second so you could hear it. You don't have to earn it again because Jesus already earned it for you. You don't have to purchase it again because Jesus already purchased it for you. You didn't earn it or deserve it before, but it is yours. The hard part and this is where we get into neuroscience. The hard part is believing it, really experiencing it. It's brain science. Well, at first, it's too good to believe. And you know what happens if things, something's too good to believe. It usually is. And look, so what do I do? I work harder or I lean into it more or I lean into Jesus, whatever that means. I try to do good works more. I try to be more righteous, more pure, all of those things. But let me say to for, to most of you, stop it. Stop what you're trying to do that supposedly is going to earn God's favor. I mean, think about it. Stop trying to do what you're doing to try to justify his gift to you, to somehow wash away your guilt and shame. It doesn't work. Ask the Spirit to make you feel it. That's all. And, and we're going to say more about that. But that's the core of the message in Ephesians 3, and by the way, for the rest of Ephesians. 
So, Paul again, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So name stands for significance, identity, worth, purpose, value, self-esteem, the thing that makes you really you. So where does Paul remind the Ephesians that their core significance comes from? Their character? Nope. Their choices? No. Their families of origin? No. See, that would be the Roman way. Their good works? Again, Roman's way. Their religion? No. Their tithing? No. That would be the Jewish way to some degree. No, it comes from God, the Father as a gift. What? It's as if Paul is saying that my worth and significance are things that God hands out to those he loves, like you and me. That's so un-American. It, it does trouble us. It troubles me even as I say it. So if you, if you take all the good sources of significance in your life right now and roll them up in a ball, because we have things that, that make us who we are and that we enjoy, well, you take that little ball and you compare it to the vastly larger ball made up of all higher and lasting significance, freely doled out by God himself, and that ball eclipses the little one. Make sense? So which one are we going to pursue? One's already been purchased for us. So chill. All right, let's go on. It turns out that the name that we have desperately needed is in God's hands for us. Paul models how to get it. And here it is. We accept our need, meaning we don't have that. We want it. We don't like the little ball that we've been carrying. And we admit our inability to get it ourselves, to earn it. And we ask, right? That's it. All I need is need and ask. Then Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is so important. So Paul wants each of the Ephesians, every one of them, the good, the not so good, the young, the old, the seminary graduate, the the one who just comes irregularly, the one who comes face to face, the one who's watching the church online. He wants all of them to feel the very power of God in their inner being. Cool. Cool. I want that. Three times in this section, he mentions their need for power, not a power that comes from their efforts or skills or choices or muscles, but only from God as a gift, something Jesus purchased for them. Another deep need that I don't want to admit, that I actually am not powerful enough to do this. You know, the things that I'm commanded to do, love God, love others, can't do it. I won't do it. Look around. When was the last time that you felt a power of God in your inner being and knew it. All right? Come on, let's, let's be honest here. No shame, no judgment. When was the last time you actually felt it? And you went, oh my gosh, that's the power of God. Or step back. When was the last time that you willingly admitted your need for God's power to do God's things like love your spouse, love your children, love your parents, uh, to be faithful, to worship, to pray? It seems that Paul is speaking of an ongoing need to feel such a power that we're not feeling, that we can't seem to gin up on our own, as if our very present and future depended upon it. Because in Ephesus, it did. Is this present access to real power from God hard to believe? Right, we're, we're moderns. Maybe we'll feel it in heaven, but, you know, to expect. But, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe. That's the point. And and Paul makes the same point a little later, later in the prayer. Check out verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, meaning 
Yeah, it's too good to believe, and yet he keeps doing it. According to his power that is at work within us, right? Should be able to notice that. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Meaning, you don't get credit for that, but he just keeps doing this. Have you forgotten? Have you experienced it recently? Man, I've spoken about this all over the world. And you know what? It's surprising. Uh, Sometimes I do a hand count. How many people have heard that they need God's power to be able to experience the love of Christ? Or they need God's power to love their neighbor? Right? All they've been told, for the most part, is just go and do it. Like somehow we can create love for my neighbor. I mean, have you ever met my neighbors? So don't try to make too much sense over it because it's over your pay grade. It's unimaginable, meaning it's unimaginable. It's unbelievable, meaning it's unbelievable. And it's improbable to think that this is God's plan for you. Because what have you done to earn this? Today or last week or next month, it's stunning and yet pretty cool, right? So Paul teaches, he implies that this should be a regular thing for the Ephesians. Well, right? What do you think? Should this be a regular thing for you? Wouldn't that make a difference in your relationships, in your sense of self, in your fears? Well, please, I'm begging you, hear this, that this is stunning news to those who are the outies, the beat up, the orphan, the homeless, the abused, the rejected, those shamed by racism, sexism, or any other ism. Uh, this is available to them. This new status, this new relationship, this new sense of power for the powerless is yours in Christ as much as everyone else and anyone else. You haven't messed this up. You haven't done something to disqualify you. If you're a Christian, it's yours. It's what you've been looking for or maybe afraid to look for. So run to Jesus. He was not going to turn away from you. I promise or shame you or criticize you or laugh at you or look away. This is why he came. This is why his spirit remains and is here now in your inner being to make beat up, unloved, and unlovable, anxious people, lonely and isolated people experience love a little today and tomorrow and the next day. Isn't that good news? All right. Uh, There's three so that clauses. I don't want to get into the Greek weeds, but uh, Paul says that we must ask for a power that this power that exclusively exclusively, sorry, comes from God, Not doesn't come from us. There's no uh, gym that you can go to work out this and get this power that so that we can actually begin to feel in our inner being, wherever that place is, so that I would notice three things, the three so that's. So I need power first so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a bit awkward of a statement. Paul's grammar is very difficult here, but here's probably what he means, or what he means is probably in here somewhere. Have you ever wondered if you were still a Christian, that God still loved you, that you still had favor of God? Because maybe you've messed up. I mean, yeah, what are the chances? Or kind of wandered away from God again. What are the chances? Uh, Now you wonder if God still cares or have you blown it or three strikes and you're out or he's disgusted with you or disappointed. And if you see him, he'll just walk away going, yeah, I'm going to go keep talking to Billy Graham. He's worth my time. Well, apparently, Paul and the Ephesians had the very same problem. They wondered at times if the Spirit of Christ was still dwelling in their in their hearts. Well, what's the cure? One of the things that this special power from God does on an ongoing basis is to make you really know that God still loves you, still loves you as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, no matter what you may have said or done or not said and not done. He loves you the same as you are, not as you should be. 
But you need power to, to feel that today. Remember, you've got this critical inner voice in your midbrain telling you you're not worthy. So you need a power to, to take that critical inner voice down to the mat. Again, this is, this is the passion for the dance. This is why we're investing so much time and effort into the dance is to give you that, to give you that shot. Uh, www.the-dance.org. I'm begging you to do it. And in the dance, we will show you how to ask for that power today from God. It's so simple. A child could do it, but there's forces in our brain that push against that. And apparently you and I desperately need it. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know that until I was Christian for 15 years. Uh, then I finally got, got how, how great my need was and that I wasn't experiencing the love of God. I knew I had it. Wow. I learned to ask and ask again. All right, the second so that, so that you can begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Bam. That This is so huge. Forget multiple paths to God. This is the one I'm talking about. Paul knows, that because he's like them, that these men and women will need God's power ongoing today, tomorrow, and the next in order to begin just barely begin to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of God, not only for them, but for others. And here's the right question. I, I alluded to it earlier. If Jesus died so that I would be given this love, then why do I need power to experience it? It's mine, right? Yes and no. And this is one of those major areas of ongoing confusing in the church. It's easy to clean up. Here we go. First, strictly because of what Jesus did for Christians 2,000 years ago, we have all the love of God towards us. There is no more. All the love in the universe towards us as object. We are being loved as we are, not as we should be. So imagine standing in front of a tsunami. Got that image of love and honor and desire coming from God, his embrace around us. It's all around us. And yet our brain is so beat up, right? Two, our brain is so beat up and so badly rewired due to previous relational trauma that it won't and can't recognize it. It's in denial. It's always on guard because nothing has hurt it, that's my midbrain, more than relationships. And it remembers that. So it has a fear of being abandoned again or re rejected again. It has learned. The, the attachment theory suggests that people are not to be counted on from the third trimester of pregnancy. That wiring gets in my head. Those dark, defensive, bivouacked areas of my midbrain that are just out of reach of my rational brain, the prefrontal cortex. This is why we created the gospel intensive, the dance, uh, the-dance.org, to wash beat up, lonely, isolated, and anxious Christians in that powerful gospel for two hours straight, actually under two hours, so that those resistant areas of their brain get loosened up just a little bit, become more open. And it takes a power that comes from God. And the results, it's evidence-based. We can show you the results that's actually helping people. Well, this is God's DNA. This is the spirit of God's DNA in your inner being to rewire, begin to rewire entrenched, anxious, and insecure brains so that you and I will finally be able to rest in his embrace and work a little bit. John Calvin said that this was the secret working of the Spirit, to make Christians, and the key word is make, make us begin to feel the height and width, length and depth of the love of Jesus, a little or a lot, right now. Look, all we have to do, and we have to do something to experience this love more, right? So you don't just sit out there and ignore it. We're not fatalist. 
and and not just know that it exists or check a theological box that it exists. The only thing we're implored to do is to open up our empty hands, and empty is the key, stop our travails, our righteous travails, uh, thinking we're going to earn it, and ask God to give us his power through the Spirit in our inner being right now. Then do it again today, tomorrow, and the next day. A child could do it. And by the way, once I get this love of God in me and I feel more loved, it's not just the love of God for me, but it's the love of God for others through me, then I actually begin to love others more, I begin to obey the law, right? I mean, so first things first is to experience the love of God for me first. We've missed that step largely. So let me ask you, and just be honest, no judgment for me, do you feel that super unimaginable love for you as you are right now, that special power exclusively from God today that makes you feel uh, that you're loved? Have you felt it recently? Within the last decade, no judgment, no shame. I'm just asking. Good news, right? Just ask for the power now. Stop the podcast. Get on your knees. Say it aloud. Dare to say it aloud and, and say, Holy Spirit, make me feel the power of God. Make Give me the power of God to make me feel the love of God. All right? Uh, so stop the podcast. Do it and come back. All right. Welcome back. Do you want to feel more love, his love for others? One of the reasons that we don't go to our neighbors to tell them about Jesus, right? Evangelism, witnessing, is that, hey, look, we don't really love them. If we did, we would. And no judgment. I'm just saying, we've got to start calling this. And how do I get that love for my neighbor? Again, all I have to do is ask. Ask for God's love for my neighbor. He, he loves my neighbor a lot more than I do. And ask again and again. You mean... Pastor Bill, you're saying I can ask God and he'll give me love for other people? Yes. What have you been thinking? Of course. And not perfectly. That's heaven. But it should be noticeable to them. And then he will make me feel his love for me too, right? It's a two, two-sided two coin. Yeah. And that he would give me more love for him, you know, worship and praise. Yes. Not perfect this side of heaven, but it should be noticeable. It'll change your life day by day. People would notice the change. People close to you, you would smile more, serve others more, think uh, more of others, give up your own preferences more, uh, accept the preferences of others more, be able to to dialogue more, uh, hear other points of view more, think of less of your think of yourself less, complain less, give more. You would want to pray more often. You would want to. You would want to worship and probably louder. As for some people, probably should not be so loud. Be more motivated in getting into God's word more, and you would get more out of it because uh, he's the source of wisdom. You would share your faith more because you want to. You love the people. Just saying, wouldn't that make a difference? Yeah. Well, and you would worry less. You would be anxious less, afraid less. It's this perfect love that casts out fear that John talks about in First John 4.18. Not perfectly. That's heaven, but it would make a difference. You know, those nasty fear cycles, do you want them diminished? It's the perfect love of God, which you can request as a child of God that can make a real dent in them. It's the perfect love, right? Not just going to a friendly church. It's the perfect love of God that the Bible says can reduce this. And look, if, you're, if you have anxiety disorder, keep going to your doctor, stay on your meds. But, but also, in addition to that, access the power of God through the Holy Spirit by faith, the, 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 the love that beats up your fear. It thickens your hair trigger a little bit. All right, the third, so that, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
<clears throat> well, I was on a diet this week again. <sighs> I didn't feel full again. I felt hungry again. Can you tell I don't like diets? But, you know, I got to keep up this Schwarzenegger physique, right? Uh, and by the way, you know, I'm kidding. So what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Okay, I'll be honest. I'm not totally sure. But certainly it includes God's presence filling the many gaps and cracks and wounds and hurts and anxieties and fears and and insecurities and identity issues and relationship issues, the isolation and loneliness that I'm carrying right now on my shoulders and blaming myself for. The glorious fullness for sure, and that would make a difference. I would be happier. I would smile more. I'd be more pleasant to be around. I'd sleep better. According to Paul, this filling requires the same unique power that only comes from God that I can get by asking. Right? That's how I get the power to feel a little bit of the fullness of God. I ask, well, when was the last time you asked for the fullness of God? It's a game changer. Again, this is why we invested so heavily in the dance. Think of it as a kickstart for stuck Christians, status quo Christians who haven't been asking, unhappy Christians, those who feel like they haven't grown for a while and are dissatisfied by church and status quo, those who would describe themselves as hating the church but loving Jesus, or the vast majority of Gen Y and Gen Z who want more, uh, who relationally want more, who want, who, who want their anxiety diminished and who want to feel better about themselves and their sexuality, feel like they're not experiencing love of God because they've been told it's their fault. Did you know two-thirds of Christians are anxious that when they see God face-to-face, he'll be disappointed in them? or angry, or disgusted. They know theologically it can't be true. Jesus took all of that for them 2,000 years ago, but that critical inner voice is 24-7 is telling them, right? Well, the dance is for you. It's online, evidence-based, meaning you'll get immediate percent changes according to four metrics for your benefit. We can show you that it works. Come on. It's under two hours. Just go to www.the-dance.org and do it. And put spread the word, that's one word, spread the word, in the coupon slot at registration. And we'll give you a 25% discount. Just do it. Act now. You'll be so glad you did. And then sh- then let us know how it goes. All right. Uh, we'll do a fun exercise. Uh, this will require three people. So if you're listening to this, we'll get two other people. And... Um, uh, you'll see how much fun this is. We're going to teach you how to evangelize to Christians, all right? So there's three people. Person one, you're a Christian who's had a couple of bad months or a couple of bad years. You're thinking about leaving the church. You're dissatisfied. You're back pewing. You're backsliding and carrying that shame. You're resentful of God. You're, you, you, you're afraid that God's disappointed in you. As a matter of fact, you think he should be. And, and you know that you haven't been the child that he deserves. You're not expecting him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And maybe you blame God because you've prayed and prayed for that job or that relationship and God just didn't say anything. So you're in the process of stopping. You're shutting down, right? Maybe you'll go to church because you, you don't want to make a fuss or maybe you just sort of stop or, or maybe, you know, now that you can watch it at home. It makes it easy, right? We've all been person number one. So I want you to put on that match, that persona, and play your cards, okay? Then there's person number two. You're Evan Hansen. Everyone listening to Waving Through the Window uh, will know what Evan Hansen is all about. You're not a Christian in this case, right? Maybe you're a seeker. Truth be told, you're just tired of life. You're depressed. Um, 
you, you think you're tired of jumping through the hoops to get ahead. You don't have a lot of hope. You don't have a lot to show for it. You're depressed. You feel that you're a ghost that no one can see. If you fell in the forest, you wouldn't make that sound, right? That's Evan Hansen. You feel like an underachiever and a disappointment. Why would why would anybody really want to be your friends? And for whatever reason, you went to church today and sat next to person number one. <laughs> and after the service was over, you tracked him or her down and wanted to know about this relationship with a God that you at this point don't know. And so you, you can ask person number one all the questions you want. Are you with me? So person number two is is a lot of fun. And person number one, yeah, kind of a regular Christian. But there's person number three. <laughs> so person number three, uh, fun. You're the Holy Spirit who's dwelling inside of person number one. So in, in some ways, you're, 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 uh, you can't be seen, right? You're invisible. So let person number one stumble through the gospel presentation to person number two a bit, and then walk behind them as he or she is speaking the gospel of person number two, stumbling along, and whisper in their ear loud enough for person three to hear, a uh, person two to hear, uh, whisper in their ear how much God adores them right now, as they are, how proud God is of them. Something like, hey, God loves you, you know, you're my son. And as you are, not as you should be, he's not disappointed in you, not at all. Jesus already took God's disappointment 2,000 years ago on himself. Just look up into his eyes and see. It'll surprise you. He can't love you any more than he does right now, as you are, not as you should be or could be, whether you're successful witnessing or not. God loves you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And just keep saying that as person one is stumbling. You get the idea. Let person number one and number two have the conversation, but gently uh, let person one know the gospel from God. And it's okay for person number two to hear it because that's the gospel, right? And if there's observers... Kind of talk about the dynamic changes you watch, you notice, as the spirit loved on person number one. Did it change person number one's gospel message? Did it change the tone or the feel? What do you think person number two was thinking as he heard really both gospel messages, right? All right. Uh, well, I want to end there. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, an unbelievable passage. It gives us clues how to live the Christian life and feel better at the same time to, to reduce our uh, attachment theory insecurity so that we can actually feel more loved and to begin to actually love other people more. And, and as importantly, to begin to feel the love of God for us that Jesus purchased. Well, if you have any questions, uh, contact me, Dr. Bill at gospel-app.com. I'm begging you, if you haven't, go through the dance, the-dance.org, and let us know what you think. All right. Well, we'll see you in the next podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard, and this is the Gospel Rant. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and... Two men leave because that's how it works. <laughs> Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.